Thank you. Thank you, sir. Thank you. You can be seated. Thank you so much. Philippians chapter 2 this morning. Philippians chapter 2. Let's turn to this text. I appreciate the opportunity to preach here in chapel, Dr. Getch. And um, many of you, I've had the chance to meet you as we walked across property. Uh, I appreciate Brother Engelman's uh, announcement about Silent Night. My wife and I had no idea that was coming up next week. Uh, my wife has a particular battle cry when uh, we're cheering on uh, the basketball team or the volleyball team. It's quite unique. Um, I'm known to sit with her and maybe jump up out of my chair and take a lap around the gym if there's a call that was missed or whatever. But uh, we're certainly excited about that and supporting you and doing what we can here in the ministry. And uh, thank you for being in chapel today. I always look forward to chapel. I, uh, my wife and I, we met in Bible college and uh, the chapel services that we attended our college, we had assigned seating. Had to be in the same seat every time. And so I don't know, who, who got the Chick-fil-A card? Did anybody find that? All right, so after chapel, Blue Crew is going to have some, yeah, you'll have some more folks uh, volunteer for that just to clean under the chairs and to find out where that's located. But um, we always enjoy chapel services in the time. Uh, very, very memorable. And God working in us. And I pray that God would use this text today uh, more than anything to work in our lives. So let's read Philippians chapter 2. Stand with me, please, would you, if you found your place. Philippians chapter 2, and we'll start reading in verse 5. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. The Bible says, Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, being in the form of God, thought it not robber to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, and took upon him the form of a servant, and was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. And became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Lord, thank you that you have preserved this text and the word of God. Lord, we thank you for Jesus Christ. God, may we never get over the day that we turned to him and received him as our Savior. We thank you for his redemption. God, we thank you for the abundant life that we have as Christians. God, I pray today that you'd bless the reading of your word and the preaching of your word. God, would you hide me behind this text? I pray that these very simple yet powerful verses would ring true in all of our hearts and that, God, we would take upon ourselves the challenge of manifesting and showing Christ in our lives to a world that's lost and dying. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. This is a very simple set of scriptures and probably one that as a young person, if you've been saved in a length of time, you've memorized on occasion. Maybe you memorized it here during your days at college. And certainly, this text is short, just four verses. But if you look at it, grammar students, it's all one sentence. 
And one of the things we know about grammar and sentence and all of that with structure is that a sentence completes and gives us one thought. And here in this passage of Scripture, I believe that God is trying to drive one thought home to you and I. And the question is this, are you a servant? Are you a servant? I don't know what your thoughts are when you hear that question, but you may think to yourself, well, Brother Jessup, don't you know I've, I've, I've left it all. I've, I've traveled over a thousand miles. I don't know where you're from, and I've met so many of you from so many different places, and you may have left a lot at home and the comforts and what you had and your church and so many new and familiar surroundings, especially for you that are freshmen and Maybe some of you that have been here, maybe this is your sophomore year. You think about what you have left to be here. You think about what you do. Maybe it's uh, how you spend your time from week to week or what you sign up for. And even the announcements today talking about missionary prayer band or other things that people are active in on a daily basis. And when we think and consider about what it means to be a servant, many times what pops into our minds are actions. What goes into our thoughts are, well, here's a list of things that I do and that I perform day in and day out because I'm a servant. And here in this passage of Scripture, when we have the question posed this morning, are you a servant? God does not give us a list of things to do. Yet God gives us the picture of Christ and his identity. If you and I are going to be able to answer this question in the affirmative to the Lord, we have got to examine our identity in Christ. We read through the Word of God and we understand that Jesus Christ, His person, His redemptive plan is the theme of Scripture. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 8, the Bible says, We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. I don't know when finals are, Dr. Getch. Maybe we should read that text during finals week. We know what the Apostle Paul is trying to say here. He continues in verse 10. Always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. For we which live are always delivered unto death for Jesus' sake, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest. That just simply means might be shown, might be displayed in our mortal flesh. We look at Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5. He begins this sentence with an imperative mood verb. Let let this mind be in you. That means that there's a command given to you and I that it's assumed that it is not automatic after we're born again that we receive the mind of Christ. The Apostle Paul is teaching the church at Philippi and saying, look, you have got to make a conscious decision for the mind of Christ to dwell in you. I challenge you today when we answer this question, are you a servant that we examine our identity and that when we examine the scriptures, we do not look at anyone else and an idea of comparison or idea of relevancy other than Jesus Christ himself. 
You search the scriptures from cover to cover, will never find someone who was a better example of what it meant to be a servant. It is our Lord Jesus Christ. When we look at this text, I really see four identifying marks of a servant. I want to give them to you this morning in the time we have allotted. The Bible says here in verse 7 that he made himself of no reputation. First of all, I want you to see that servants are lowly. Servants are lowly. When we think of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can think of no one else in comparison that left such a high estate. The creator of this universe. Jesus Christ, God himself, the light of the world declared in John chapter 1. He left all that was his and rightfully so in heaven to come to this earth and serve mankind. The Bible says God himself, he made himself of no reputation. This is, this is the same one who healed the leper. And what did he do? After showing that great display of power, he dirtied himself when he washed the disciples' feet. The same one who fashioned a whip and turned the tables over on the money chambers is the one who took up little children in his arms to show them the love of God. The same one who cast out demons in villages and across the countryside. He's the same one who served the disciples and he cooked a meal for them and had it ready on the seashore in his resurrected body. The same one that created this universe and the same one who by him all things consist. He's the same one that walked Calvary's road and gave his life on the cross for you and for me. This same one who rose from the grave triumphant over life and over death. This Jesus Christ is the same one who will serve us at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Get a hold of that for just a minute. God himself, who gave his life on the cross for you and for me and finished redemption's plan with the resurrection, he will serve you and me at the marriage supper of the Lamb. Listen, we're not worthy. You talk about a level of service that you and I have a hard time wrapping our human minds about. It's the service of our Lord Jesus Christ. He made himself of no reputation. Servants are lowly. In my office, some of you that have been by, I had a couple of visitors yesterday who were shooting Nerf darts at me uh, in advance of a youth activity last night. But if you've been by, ever been by my office, you'll probably know that I, I enjoy classic cars, automobile, trucks, memorabilia, and all of that. And on one of my shelves is this monster truck called Brutus, still in its package. You say, Brother Jessup, what is that about? Well, that is a reminder of Philippians chapter 2 and verse 7, and let me tell you why. A couple of years ago, I was preaching a revival meeting in Kimball, Michigan, and that morning, that Sunday morning in an adult Bible class, I was just teaching about reaching young people and the Great Commission. And I had a man who was at the back and kind of dressed in plain clothes. And uh, he had come in just a little bit late. And I noticed that when I was teaching on certain principles of reaching people and giving of ourselves for the Lord, I could see him nod. 
and audible amens. After Sunday school, and before the church service started, I walked back and greeted him and found out about his story. This man was none other than Chris Bergeron, the owner and operator of Brutus, the monster truck. I think we have a picture of him up here to show you. What I ended up discovering after I talked to him is that Chris had lived a wild life in the monster truck industry, traveled, had won awards. He was known for being the driver who invented what's called the spin cycle, where the monster truck just flips around and just circles like that in a huge donut. Um, the next slide, I think we got pictures of him doing jumps and everything else. I mean, very well known, very famous, multi-million op multi operation. What happens is a soul winner at that church, at Sprawlingville Baptist Church, invites him and his family to an event that they were having with the, with the youth rally and different things going on at church. And he ends up hearing the gospel and he gets saved. After he gets saved, he's traveling for a while with the monster truck. You know how this goes. They travel around the country at different places and arenas and holding all these events and millions of fans across the country. And I told Brother Burge and I asked this question. I said, why did you, why did you leave all of that? And during that weekend that I was there, he actually took me on a tour of his house and just a beautiful estate and I've never seen somebody with a backyard where there's monster truck jumps in the backyard, but he had it, okay? <laughs> Huge shop and different things. And that's, that's where I got this toy from him. And I asked him, I said, what, what happened? What, what, what is it? He said, you know, he said, end up finding out, he said, all the travel and all the fame and all the work that went into this, he said, I really got under conviction because I couldn't serve in church. So he ended up really thinking, you know, if I continue this life, I'm going to lose my children. I don't need the name. I need to figure out a way to serve God. He left it all. He left it all. That week during the revival meeting, he was driving a bus, bringing young people into the church services every night that we preached. I saw this man get up on the platform during the final night of the revival meeting, Chris Bergeron, the final night of the revival meeting, and weep in front of his church over lost souls. If you look this guy up on the internet, it's kind of interesting. You end up Googling his name and trying to find out more about him. He's like mysteriously leaves the industry without, you know, he's like retires early kind of idea. This man makes himself of no reputation for one sole purpose to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. I reconnected with him again this, or actually early, early this month at a conference where I was speaking and I had invited him. This is the second time he had attended. It's a conference about trying to reach young people, reach the next generation. And he had come to that and so excited. He said, Brother Jessup, he said, God is doing a great work in our church. I'm continuing. He said, I've started teaching um, the young people in Sunday school every week. This is a man that most of us know nothing about. All that he had, the reputation, the name, he gave it all up to serve the Lord. Many of you will be going on and God will be putting you into ministry positions. Think with me for just a moment. 
These are the types of people, Chris and Brenda, that God wants you to reach, that God wants you to work with, that God wants you to disciple. You think it's important for you and I to be servants? You think it's important for you and I to have the mind of Christ and to make ourselves of no reputation? I believe that it is. Servants are lowly. Number two, we see here in the text, not only did Jesus make himself of no reputation, but the Bible says he took upon him the form of a servant. The form of a servant. Number two, servants are willing to be changed. Servants are willing to be changed. Now, this word form here that we find in verse seven is from the Greek word morphe. And of course, in English, we have this word morph. Last 10 or 15 years, especially, it's been very popular in, uh, in our culture for uh, superheroes and uh, adventure heroes that morph into their alter ego or morph. They, they're, they're changed into someone else or to something else to perform some mighty act or, or some a kind of supernatural uh, heroic work. Are you willing to be changed? Jesus left and set aside all that was rightfully his and a willingness to be changed to reach this world and his redemptive plan. Mark chapter 10 and verse 42, we have the record of the Lord Jesus teaching his disciples about what it meant to be a servant, but Jesus called them to him and saith unto them, ye know that they which are accounted to rule over the Gentiles exercise lordship over them and their great ones exercise authority upon them. But so shall it not be among you. But whosoever will be great among you shall be your minister. And whosoever of you will be the chiefest shall be servant of all. For even the son of man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. See, the Lord Jesus took the form of a servant for a purpose, and that purpose was to redeem this world from sin. I think about people of yesteryear that were willing to be changed for a specific purpose in the work of the Great Commission. I think of the story of Adonai and Judson. Adonai and Ann Judson left these shores in, in 1812, as the war, if history buffs know, the war of 1812 was on the horizon. And I believe it was in February or so that they left. And if you ever read the biography to the Golden Shore, I, I really encourage you, um, you need to read that biography. It's wonderful. And during the voyage, during the voyage over to what he was intending to be India, he allowed the word of God to change him. And so much, he was so convicted by the word of God and his identity with the Baptist church that he wrote a letter back to the congregation that says, listen, I can't take support. I can't take the money. This is who I believe I am. This is my identity. Of course, we know some of the story. He had intended to go to India and he ends up at Burma. During his days in Burma, Judson worked on a translation of the Bible. His work is very historic. I hold a copy of that same Bible in my hand this morning. 
the work that he completed. And the work that he completed was one that we talk about flexibility in ministry. We talk about flexibility in allowing what God takes place in your life and your service for him. He translated much of the portions of the word of God while he was in prison. While he was in that bungalow being guarded day and night and each night they would take his ankles and his feet and the other prisoners as well and put them on the crossbeam to keep them from escaping. There were times that his wife Anne would visit him in prison and slip a pillow and exchange it back and forth and inside that pillow were leaves of the word of God being translated. You talk about someone who knew what it meant to be a servant, someone who knew what it meant to allow God to work in him, to have a transforming power in his life. Some of us, we have a hard time understanding that. Even as I study for this sermon, different times I'd walk to the GA and grab myself a coffee and double chocolate cookies. And I nibbled on those while I looked at the word of God and freedom without sacrifice. Comfort-controlled, climate-controlled environment. Chair that has cushions, very comfortable, nice desk, plenty of lighting. How dare we complain anytime we study the Word of God? How dare we take for granted what we have? Servants are willing to be changed. Jesus took upon him the form of a servant. And then thirdly, I want you to see here as we follow along in the text, we get to verse 8. The Bible says, and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. Servants are humble. Servants are humble. What, what will it take for you and me to be humbled? Pride is the original sin. Living here in 2023, we see pride displayed through all types of forms in many different ways. God has a recipe for dealing with pride, and it's found in James chapter 4. Would you take your Bibles, please, and turn there for just a moment? James chapter 4. It's interesting when we read these several verses in James 4, we need to be reminded that God is speaking to Christians He's not speaking to the unsaved in this text. Many times I think when we come to revival weeks or meetings, uh, this is a text we'll often go to. But James chapter 4 and verse 5, the Bible says, Do you think that the Scripture saith in vain, the Spirit that dwelleth in us lusteth to envy? But he giveth more grace. Wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud but giveth grace unto the humble. Submit yourselves therefore to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Cleanse your hands, ye sinners, and purify your hearts, ye double-minded. Be afflicted and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to heaviness. Humble yourselves in the sight of the Lord, and he shall lift you up. We examine the life of Christ, we see a humble servant. 
We see the identity of someone wrapped up in humility. You and I, as we manifest the life of Christ, as we read in 2 Corinthians, there's an expectation upon us that we serve in humility. That we take on that humble mindset. Are you willing to be humble? There are temptations every day, are there not? In the prior ministry in which I served, we dealt a lot with young people and children, sixth grade and younger, who were dealing with issues and some problems of the mind because so much was wrapped up into social media. So much of a sense of self-worth given over to likes or to responses and replies to posts. How many followers there? How many people that were influencing? If you ever struggled with that, you know that that's an empty set of values to have. It never satisfies. There's always a longing for more. There's always a longing for self. The pictures are taken, things take place with events, and many times people are always looking to find themselves in the photo. Where am I at? Maybe it is social media, maybe it is the website, or maybe it is something at work where you feel like you should be acknowledged, or maybe, maybe your name should be called from the platform during chapel, and you, you think that that was something that should have, maybe it's in the classroom. You, sh- you really believe you should have been acknowledged because of what you did. Listen, God has an expectation of you and I that we are humble. Sporting events today. Somebody scores a touchdown. Somebody makes a bucket. Boy, there's a huge... It, it amazes me. <laughs> Some guy make a tackle, right? And the, uh, the other guy gained four or five yards. The guy... Defensive back makes a tackle. He'll he'll jump up and point to himself. I'm like, what in the world, guy? He just got four or five yards on you. It don't make much sense. It seems like every play, somebody has got to point to self. Filled with pride. Can you imagine what it would have been like in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ if the disciples had cell phones? Now think about this for just a minute. You know, what we read in Mark chapter 10 is where Jesus is rebuking the disciples and saying, look, the greatest among you, he's going to be your servant. They were, they were arguing, they were fighting over who's going to be the best, who's going to be with Jesus, who's going to sit on the right-hand side and all of this. Can you imagine if they had cell phones? Can you see John whipping out a selfie stick with his arm? I, I cast a demon out of this guy, you know, and, and pose. Right? Now, we look at that and we, we think about those kind of things. We kind of snicker and laugh and chuckle. And that'd be funny. But you know what? Sometimes that happens in 2023. Because we crave and we long for recognition. May Lord keep us humble. What a, what a challenging text. Henry Jordan, you may not know this name, but Henry Jordan was second in command to Sam Walton back in the 80s when Walmart was growing and some of the principles that Sam Walton had were really taking off. And Henry Jordan started as a stock boy, just stocking shelves. 
along the way before Walmart became the huge corporate conglomerate that it is today, and these men had either died or left, he wrote a book called Leading Through Relationship First. And Henry Jordan said this, be humble. Great leaders know they are promoted to serve, not to be served. Look at that. Be humble. Great leaders know they are promoted to serve, not to be served. Think about that quote. Isn't that not the mind of Christ? That must be our mind. Servants are humble. And then lastly, I want you to look at this next verse here. Verse 8. The next phrase, excuse me. The Bible says beyond the fact that he humbled himself, he became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Lastly, I want you to discover servants are obedient to God's will. Servants are obedient to God's will. The Bible says that Jesus became obedient unto death. In Galatians 1.10, the Bible says, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Jesus showed us that in the Garden of Gethsemane in Luke chapter 22 and verse 42. He says, Father, if thou be willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but thine be done. When I think about our motivations for obedience, I really like to boil it down, trim it down to, to three levels of obedience. You got a pen or paper, you're taking notes, get these down, would you? Number one, the first level of obedience is a fear of reprisal. A fear of reprisal. Remember the days when you first discovered that your parents had rules? And that you knew that if you disobeyed those rules, you'd get a spanking or there'd be, there'd be some reprisal. There'd be something taken away. There'd be some retribution. There'd be some punishment. The first level of obedience is a fear of reprisal. Now, you know, the Bible does talk about judgment. The Bible does talk about the great right throne judgment, of course, where the saved are eternally separated from the unsaved. And we have the Bema seat judgment as well. And Apostle Paul says, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. And that's true. Do you obey because of a fear of reprisal? I don't know. I, well, we have demerits. We have things going on here. We have rules at college. And uh, we do what we can to maintain what we have. Some of those rules help us maintain the dorms or maintain buildings and all of that. Um, why do you follow the rules? You're afraid of getting in trouble? That's the first level. The second level is this, a future reward. A future reward. The second level of obedience has the idea that we're obeying authority because we expect we're going to get something in return. Right? These are the kids in junior church or rally time where you have a couple of rules and you say, okay, if you behave, we're going to give you, and boy, here's a bucket of candy or maybe, um, you know, whatever, okay? There's some reward that you're going to receive because you're being obedient to authority. Boy, there's a lot of people like this. 
A lot of people like this in churches too. And I'd imagine here at college. We're thinking about a reward. Think about getting something good in return for our obedience. Now, I'm not trying to say that we shouldn't obey. We ought to, but I'm giving you this list so we can check our motivations. As you grow and as you mature in Christ as a servant of God, I really believe that we need to move beyond level one as an immature child and looking at just a, a fear of reprisal, right? Level two, level two is a little difficult because, boy, we, we hear preaching on heaven. We hear preaching on, uh, you know, the judgment seat of Christ and getting rewards that, by the way, we're going to give back to Christ anyway. But I want you to look at number three and break this down as a motivation for obedience. A fond relationship. A fond Relationship. This speaks to obeying authority out of love. Why do you obey authority? Why do you, why do you want to be obedient to God? Oh, well, Brother Jessup, it's because when, when we have the missions conference, there's, 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 there, there, there's great presentations of people who need Jesus, and we see the pictures of the children, and we see the pictures of the suffering, and people who don't know Christ. And boy, sometimes those things are very graphic, and they're very wonderful things to think about. I think Matthew chapter 9, when Jesus, the Bible says, was moved with compassion. And certainly that should move us. But can I say something to you beyond those types of pictures of, of people or beyond what the need is? You and I, we must obey the Lord because of our relationship. I want to do what God wants me to do because I love Him. The baseline of all of the law, Jesus said, listen, love God, love each other. By this shall all men know you're my disciples. A true servant, we obey because we have a fond relationship with God. You may have never met Margaret Stringer as a single lady, and she's never been married, as a single lady, Margaret Stringer went to Irian Jaya, where the natives there were known for being headhunters. And in the 60s, when she arrived there to reach them with the gospel, cannibalism in some form was still taking place among a lot of the tribal people. She wrote a book called Jesus Led Me All the Way. It talks about much of her life and what she endured the great success that God gave her in reaching people for Christ. But she says this in the book, I feel a need to continually search my heart for motives for service. I pray that my motive for any service will be to do the will of my Lord Jesus Christ. As you're trained here and you go from here, Lord willing, at some point, let's not kid ourselves. You're going to be tested. I'm 50 years old this year in October. Remember finally days in college and, um, and I'll say it, the fun we had. I had fun in college. I was one of the guys running around with a Nerf gun too, you know, <laughs> uh, all that kind of stuff. It was great. 
But I'm sure you've heard other men with some gray hair and other ladies that have given testimony. There are going to be times of testing. There are going to be times that you go through where your faithfulness is on the line. You're going to feel like quitting. You're going to feel like giving up. Stay the course. Obey the Lord. And obey the Lord because you love Him. Serve where God wants you to serve because of your relationship with God Himself. All of us one day, we believers, we're going to meet God. We're going to see Jesus. Any preacher worth his salt, and he preaches the text of the Word of God, wants each and every listener to stand before God and for God to say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. And can I say to you this morning, that's my prayer for all of us. That's the prayer that Dr. Getch has, that Pastor Chapel has, that our faculty and staff and your pastor, where you're from, and your church, and prayerfully a lot of your parents. Are you a servant? 